everyone, and welcome to Measure Up, a podcast about how diet culture uses pop culture to seep into our psyche, and where we together debunk diet culture BS. Thank you guys for listening. My name is Pedro Benowitz, and this is Measure Up. If you're just listening in, if this is your first time listening, welcome. If it's not your first time listening, I'm sorry it's taken me an entire year to get to episode two. Thank you guys for your patience, if there's anyone still listening out there, uh, and I'm really excited about this new episode. Um, so my friend Sam Maza, who hosts Rebel Hearts Podcast, which is a podcast about women in music, is my co-host today. And we had such a fun time recording this. We kicked off the episode talking about diet culture in wedding culture, because Sam is getting married soon, and had just experienced the nightmare that is wedding dress shopping for the first time. We discuss the fact that Y2K fashion is coming back, which means low-rise jeans coming back, which is terrifying for a lot of us out there for many reasons, if you're a millennial. We discuss diet culture within the music industry, if celebrities are or are not responsible for the amount of influence they have on diet culture and much more. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. We've got a ton to talk about, so let's get to it. Yeah, my brain is like mush today, so I'm, we'll just kind of let it. We're going to let it ride. Let it roll. Yeah, let it ride. I don't even remember what we talked about in the first one. I'm just, you know. I don't know either, but I think a lot of it's probably real irrelevant now. I I want to say like 80% of it is irrelevant. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but you are getting married, and there was a lot you wanted to talk about with that industry, I know, and diet culture. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about what that experience has been like in terms of diet culture and food and dress sizes and stuff like that. Jesus Christ. Let me tell you. <laughs> so I I didn't get to go to my one of my closest friends when she got married uh, last September. I didn't get to go dress shopping with her because I live in Tennessee and she lives in New York still. So I got to I missed out on everything. So I obviously have never gone dress shopping before. I'd never been married before. So I didn't know what to expect going into it. But let me tell you. <laughs> It was it was crazy because like I I didn't have any expectations because when I wanted to just go so I went home because we're getting married in New York so right. uh, my mom made the appointment um, it was my mom my sister my friend that just got married um, my grandma on my dad's side and that was it I didn't know anything to expect nobody prepared me for anything nobody told me anything I was just like. I'm here to just go have the family experience, everybody cry, like the whole thing. And I was like, I'm going to spend $400 on a dress. So my mom told me like the day we're going, she's like, oh, well, the cheapest dress is $1,700. I said, okay. So I had no expectations. I was like, I just want to have fun. I want to try stuff on. Like, I don't know what I'm looking for. Like, I thought I wanted a ball gown. Like, I didn't know what I wanted. So we go there and... The girl asks me my budget and just, you know, being funny, I was like, the budget's like 
$3,000 because I just wanted to see what I could get for $3,000. I wasn't going to buy one, right? So she brings out all these dresses. I showed her kind of what I was looking for. I was like, I kind of want, I said, I want this back, which is, you know, I showed you the dress. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that back and I didn't know what else I wanted. I was like, I definitely don't want it um, sleeveless. I'm not pulling it up all night, blah, blah, blah. So she gave me a couple of ball gowns because I wanted to try on ball gowns just to be fun and floofy and whatever. And then she gave me a lot of fitted ones. And I said that I didn't like I always tell myself I didn't want a fitted dress or I didn't want a mermaid dress because like I'm not wearing shapewear on my wedding. I'm just not right. going to be uncomfortable. I'm just not going to do it. So I try on the first dress, which spoiler alert is the one that I bought. Um so I tried on the first dress and I was like really surprised because it's fitted, but it's not like crazy. It doesn't look, you know, insane on me. But um, I tried on that dress and I tried on two ball gowns. So I didn't look at any of the sizes because I'm like, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. <laughs> so, th so then it came down to it and I decided to buy the $3,000 dress because of course it was $3,000. <laughs> why they say never try on a dress outside your budget i've watched enough say yes to the dress seventeen hundred dollars <laughs> is already significantly outside my budget so i was already going in like hella fucked anyway so the funny thing is so everybody decides that i'm buying that dress and i'm like okay i guess i'm buying that dress so i decide to look at the tag to finally see how much it was because mind you up until this point i had no idea how much it was so i looked oh at God. it found out it was twenty eight or twenty nine hundred dollars and then I saw the size and I'm like the fuck is that <laughs> and I didn't panic and I didn't freak out but I was just like holy shit because I'm usually a dress size like six or eight this dress was a size 12 and I'm like <laughs> yeah it's so they size like the sizing is different for wedding dresses for some like reason for some reason even more vanity size right and it's insane because like nobody prepared me for that but I guess that like I don't talk to people that would prepare me for that so right. I was a little overwhelmed because I'm like because everybody always tells you like don't look at the size it doesn't matter what the size is like just get whatever fits you all that stuff but I saw it was a size 12 and then she took all my measurements and everything and the weird thing was um I went home and I looked at the dress size chart, uh, chart for that dressmaker and my measurements that she had taken is technically a size 10. So I was talking to my friend who just got married and we went for coffee the day after before I got my before I went on my flight home and she goes, I'm going to tell you something. She's like, it's a good thing they ordered a size up because when I tried on my dress, um, it almost didn't fit and I had a nervous breakdown. Oh my God. <laughs> she was like so the 12 is fine she's like you might be able to fit into a 10 but that's a 10 that's been worn by dozens of people the the back zipper was kind of broken and stuff so it's like a 12 is most likely going to be the size that I end up with anyway but she told me that and I was like oh my god I can only imagine it's like that Kim Kardashian Marilyn Monroe dress moment where it's like oh my god yeah we have to talk we have about to that unpack that yes we have to discuss we have that. to talk about that oh my god but yeah it was but it was kind of insane to think about because had this been like five or ten years ago I probably would have been in a very different mindset like just obsessing over the size over it and I'm just right. like what is the point <laughs> Like, I just want to know what the right. point is. 
What? And why? What I don't understand is why? Why are they just standard sizes? Like, right. like, do they want people to have nervous breakdowns in the store? Right. Is it just because these dresses are made by like high end designers? And I know, like, in the like high fashion world and like more expensive fashion world, sizing can be different, but. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It just seems to only bring people stress and anxiety. Yeah, which is crazy because, like, when you're planning a wedding, like, I can't I can't relate to it yet. I mean, I'm getting married in, like, a year and a half. But um, it's crazy because there's so much stress that goes into planning a wedding, especially, like, stereotypically. And me and Colin were talking about this yesterday, how he's, like, you know, um, he went to his cousin's wedding and his um, – the groom like when they were eating dinner he's like oh my god i didn't even know this was going to be on the menu and the bride was like yeah because i picked it i picked everything and he was talking about how he wants to be involved in everything because you know he doesn't want to be like that guy that's just you know the the bride picks everything and she's the only one under the stress and everything and um already brides just deal with so much bullshit like i'm just really lucky that i'm planning everything far enough in advance where i'm not stressed like the only thing that's stressing me out right now is this fucking save the date situation but (laughs) that's neither here nor there the idea that i have is ridiculous anyway so (laughs) um but brides go under so much stress and it's just really terrifying like I had never, like, gotten much into, like, the wedding industry or, like, really paid much attention. Like, I watched Say Yes to the Dress and all of that stuff. But, and I know people that have gotten married. But it's just so crazy the way that it's marketed. Like, you have to wear shapewear. You have to, you know, lose 50 pounds to fit into a dress. You have to do all these things. And it's scary because, like, it's very easy to fall into that mindset of you have to do it. You know, it's that little intrusive thought in the back of your mind that's like, I know I'm fine, and I know that I have a dress that fits me perfectly, but, like, do I still need to lose weight? And that fear of, oh, my God, like, what if I gain weight before before the wedding, and then the dress is – because it's an expensive dress, so I imagine, like – for me, like if I was stepping into a bride's shoes, because I'm not married, um, so I don't really know what it's like, but buying a dress that far in advance, like just because I've struggled with my body and eating disorders my whole life, my body changes a lot. So the pressure and the anxiety that comes with, first of all, you have to pick a dress out at least a year before the wedding maintaining a certain weight for over a year and like right and then your two thousand dollar dress doesn't fit like that's that's a lot and like i know there are like crazy diets that brides go on either to lose weight or to maintain weight and they like really deprive themselves until after the wedding and it's just it's it's wild that this is what it's become like this should be Planning a wedding should be an exciting time, not a stressful and anxiety-inducing time. Yeah. Well, it's, it it sucks, too, because it's like I make this joke all the time how, like, I am constantly, like, trying to go to the gym and just trying to, like, better myself just in general and then just make sure that, like, my dress still fits properly and everything and I'm happy with the silhouette and I'm dedicated to not wearing shapewear just because I just think that's ridiculous. Um, to each their own, but for me personally – 
because I've struggled with eating disorders and everything, I just personally don't want to wear shapewear on my wedding day and be reminded that like I still have body issues or like I have, you know, it's just kind of a thing for me that and I'm trying to be as comfortable as possible. So I feel like having shapewear dig into me for the duration of my wedding, I'm already going to be miserable not being able to pee whenever I want. So I'm just trying to make it that much less of a struggle for me. But I make this joke all the time how like, I'm doing all these things like we're getting married like next October, right? So it's only July. So we have plenty of time. And Colin's going to like roll up a month before the wedding, work out twice and like lose 20 pounds and just be like this perfect silhouette. (laughs) Just like be totally fine. He's going to give up like soda for three days and he's just going to be like a completely different person. (laughs) And it's just it sucks. Like I'm sure that... um, because men obviously deal with, you know, eating disorders and body dysmorphia and everything that women do. But it's just like talking stereotypically, it's always the woman that's always just like, I have to look like this. I have to make sure I'm a size two, which is scary to think about because I've heard people try to fit into a wedding dress size four or size two. And I'm like, a wedding dress size four is like a double zero in, in like, in like real pant pant sizes. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around that because before I tried on a wedding dress, I just assumed that a size four was a size four, you know, which is already pretty tiny, you know, depending on like how tall you are and everything. Like that's, that's a pretty small frame. That's at least, you know, under the quote unquote average, the American average that, you know, society has deemed whatever, how many years ago. But I think an average is a 10 or 12 now, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I feel like the American average was like a six or an eight, like maybe like 10 years ago. Right. But sizing has changed. So it's the same like measurements, mm-hmm. but we vanity size things so much that the number has gone up. That so is a lot so of, wild. Yeah. A lot of people will like look at that and be like, oh, the obesity problem, like the obesity epidemic and whatever. No, it's just that... <laughs> There's vanity sizing, and I'm going to find a source for that right now because I remember seeing that. So I'm not saying something that's not true. I wanted to jump on here really quick and add an addendum. Uh, When we recorded this, when I was looking up that source, I realized that I was actually wrong. Um, It wasn't that sizes have gotten smaller. It was actually the opposite. Sizes have gotten bigger because basically what the clothing industry did is it realized that we put so much value on the size and that because of that value we put on our size and being smaller we're more likely to buy clothes for ourselves if it's in a smaller size they took that and ran with it so the measurements for a size 8 in 1958 they took those measurements and they tacked those measurements on a new number they created which was a double zero so the measurements for a size eight suddenly became a double zero and the measurements for a size nine became the measurements for a zero and so on and so on so instead of just adding more numbers to the end so I don't know what sizing ended at then but I know that it wasn't as inclusive so let's just say you couldn't really find clothes past the size 
and I'm just like making this up, but let's say you couldn't find clothes past the size 16. Instead of adding a 17, they just moved everything back eight sizes. So a size 16 became, I guess, a size eight. I don't know if I'm doing that math correct. And a size eight became a double zero, um, which is just fucked up because it's screwing with our heads even more. We have such a fear as a society of being larger and seeing a larger number that we'd rather lie to ourselves about our size to see a smaller number. It's just wild to me. So in a minute here, when we get back to the actual podcast audio, you'll hear Sam and I have this conversation and have the aha moment where we're both like, oh, wait, the sizing has changed, but not in the way that we both had thought it had. It's actually the opposite. Um, And in a way, I think the way the sizing has changed is even more fucked up because um, the reason it changed is because the clothing industry knew and took advantage of the fact that we put so much of our value on the number we see and the smaller the number the better we feel about ourselves and it's just this vicious cycle of us putting our value on a number and the fashion industry kind of taking advantage of that and it's just the whole thing's fucked up I feel like I have seen that too and you know what's weird is that I I kind of should have prepared myself for this a little better with the wedding dress thing because I was a bridesmaid at my friend Christie's wedding back in September and the dress that I tried on I think was like a 10 and like I said again like I'm usually a standard six or an eight so a uh, bridesmaid dress size 10 I was just like at the time I was still like 20 pounds heavier because I had all the pandemic weight on me but at the time like that was not Ooh. that was not good for me I was already in like a bad mental health state and then on top of that like the body dysmorphia and the fact that I had gained weight and that I didn't accept that I gained weight until like it was pointed out to me like I had a lot going on and then trying on a size 10 and then seeing how I looked in it just felt like utter garbage (laughs) yeah so here this is from a website from the uk it's called fashionnetwork.com says altering size labels to encourage sales is fueling obesity and causing women to think they are slim oh wait no that's saying the exact opposite of what i was meaning to say that's so this is saying that vanity sizing is making people think they're smaller but I've seen the opposite, where vanity sizing is making people think they're bigger than they are because the waistline on a two now is smaller than the waistline on a two. But that's cr- it, it's crazy you say that because, like, I was thinking about it a couple of days ago. Back when I was, like, 14 or 15. Now, mind you, I've been relatively the same size at least, like, weight wise maybe not measurement wise because obviously when you're a teenager and you're an adult like you know 15 to 29 is vastly different you know the way that things are distributed but like sometimes I'll look at photos Mm -hmm. and I know kind of what size I was because again you know I've struggled with eating disorders my whole life but I used to fit into a size zero back when I was 15 like it was a struggle and I probably was not very comfortable in it but I could fit into a size zero when I was 15 
I'm around the same like hip size and everything now than I was when I was 15 like for the most part give or take like maybe 10 pounds I could never fit into a size zero now like forget about it right it's changed okay so this is the commercial standard from 1958 for the sizing of women's patterns and apparel the body measurements uh the standard was based on 15,000 women interviewed previously with this with the addition of a group of women who had been in the army during world war ii the documents person perp well the document's purpose to provide the consumer with a means of identifying her body type and size from a wide range of body types covered and enabled her to find and enabled her to be fitted properly by the same size regardless of price, type of apparel, or manufacturer of the garment. The standard included the first modern woman's clothing size chart, and it provides the first data points in the chart above. Women's sizes range from eight to forty two, a size eight a size 8 woman had a bust of 31 inches, a 23.5 inch waist, and a weight of 98 pounds. That's crazy. So this is saying women who like, were 98 pounds were wearing a size 8. That <laughs> is what a size 8 used to be. Well, that's that's a good segue into talking about the Marilyn Monroe dress. Yes. Because um, a lot of the other controversy outside of the Kim controversy in itself that we'll get to is that um, Marilyn's dress was technically, I want to say it was a size two, a size zero or a size two that um, people were saying and how the controversy was like, oh, Marilyn Monroe was so curvy. She was so thick, you know, in our terms, um, in 2022 terms. Um, but in reality, she was a size fucking two. Right, <laughs> which was really, because uh, I don't know what a 98-pound woman, if a 98-pound woman was wearing a size 8 then, then that must have been close to a size 2, or, I think, I, I don't know, that's, this is screwing with my brain, because. <laughs> there was a size conversion, ch- so I had read, like, every article that had to do with this dress, just because, to me, it was just, I knew we were doing this, so I was just trying to keep up with it, because I knew that every part of, like, every information article, informative article that I found was just going to be absolute insanity. Right. Oh, here we go. So this says, so that size chart is not used anymore. It was ditched in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um and we entered the era of vanity sizing. By the way, all this information is coming from a Washington Post article. Um, and I'll see if there are other cited sources below. Um, so vanity sizing started when clothing manufacturers realized that they could flatter consumers by revising sizes downward. Oh, God. The measurements that added up to a size 12 in 1958 would get redefined to a size 6 by 2011. The different manufacturers just define sizes differently, too. Um, from 2011, shows how a size 8 waist measurement could differ by as much as 5 inches of cloth between different designers. <laughs> this is wild. So, basically, it sounds like they were trying to sell more clothes by flattering women to make them seem... Smaller than they actually were, I guess. I'm not really 100% sure what the purpose was there. 
It's a size six today. So a size twelve in nineteen fifty eight would be a size six today. <laughs> when when was this article published? It had to be within the last like twenty fifteen. Okay, that makes sense. Because I feel like sizes have gotten even different since then. Well, yeah. So uh, funny you say that. So. I've been watching, I was never big into YouTube until the pandemic, and now I watch a lot of YouTube, especially when I'm home by myself, or like, you know, I get to just watch whatever I want. Um, I There's this clothing company that comes up all the time that I actually just purchased from. It's a brand called Princess Polly, and I had been recommended some uh, YouTube um, YouTubers on my feed of... Um, women that were, I believe that they were, um, like two X or something like that, but they were talking about, and I, I watched two of them. One girl was talking about how, um, the size chart is crazy because this, the, um, the size range was really inclusive or so it showed that it was inclusive. It went up to allegedly a six X, which is awesome. However, right. she's like, um, I am not a 6X, but by this standard I am, I usually wear a 2X. So if you're bigger than me, then you're kind of in trouble. Like, you're screwed. So it's kind of like they're pretending to be more inclusive than they are. And I just think that that's that's so interesting. And they say that in the plus size range, like anything from like a 2X on, you follow the size chart instead of following like your usual measurements and like your usual size. So I just find that interesting that brands are trying to trick us into believing that they're more inclusive because 6X, like that's like that, that gets a bravo from me. Like that's pretty inclusive, but it's not really because it's technically a standard 2X. You know, so who that's right. still catering to a pretty small market, in my opinion. And there was another um, I follow this girl who does a lot of activewear reviews and everything. And she talks about the size range and all these, you know, companies that she reviews. And spoiler alert, they only really go up to like an extra large or maybe a 2XL. But there was this one company who uh, claims to be they go up to like a 4XL but there was nothing on the page. Oh, I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Khloe Kardashian's Good American. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to say oh, it was, Chloe, I want to say it was that, which is pretty funny to me if you ask me. But um, I, I want to say it was like a 4XL, but there was nothing on the page for 4XL. So it's like, it's not really there. <laughs> right. So people are saying that. Their sizing goes up to a certain size, but it, they don't actually. They're just vanity sizing up. Yeah, and it's yeah. Th- that's that's kind of wild in my opinion. How I mean, luckily there are a lot of brands that have like really changed the game with inclusivity and everything. You know, even fucking Skims. You know, I'll give you know Kim a little bit of, a crumb of credit for that because <laughs> from wh- what I've heard, um, even though Skims is ridiculous. Um, they have a pretty inclusive um, range of body types and skin tones and all of that. From what I've seen, I mean, I'd, I'm never going to buy skims in my life. <laughs> me neither. I, yeah, that brand confuses me. I'm like stuck on that. The size chart? Sizing, because it's just so arbitrary and we've changed it so many times. And it's for what? Size... <laughs> right. Like, what's the point? It sounds like just to sell more clothes right but that goes back to uh, 
it just goes back to the whole like dress like the wedding dress size thing like what is the purpose and wedding dress sizes of of all things like why why would you do that to people it's it feels like psychological torture in my opinion because you know because you know the wedding industry is so toxic when it comes to diet culture i mean you even if you don't know anybody personally you've heard people go on crash diets like you've 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 heard stories like people will stop eating like two weeks before their wedding just to make sure that it looks good but the crazy thing about that is if you're gonna crash diet like two weeks before your wedding your dress is not gonna fit you because for example i i'm getting married next october right i got my dress in april i will not see that dress until january of next year maybe february depending on when it actually comes in and when i can you know go home to you know, try it on. So I have to be the size that I was when I tried it on in April all the way to February. Now, my concern is because I'm not trying to spend a lot on alterations. So I have to pick a battle here and decide if I'm going to drop, you know, 10 pounds, you know, on purpose between now and February, which would be, you know, a healthy weight loss if I did it correctly. Um, but if I lose 10 pounds between April and February, then I'm going to be in kind of uh, a hard spot because my dress is going to be looser. And then right. I have to decide if I'm going to stay that weight from February to October, you know? So it's just like and your brain is constantly on. Yeah. The weight. I think about like, it. I, I think about it fairly often. But not too often because I still, I'm not going to see it until January, February. Right. But the problem is, after that, I kind of have to be whatever weight that I am in February. You know, right now I can do kind of whatever I want. Because if I lose, say for whatever reason I drop 20 pounds between now and the time I try on that dress, they're going to have to do what they have to do to make it fit me, right? But then after that you know, before my wedding, like I kind of have to maintain and that's kind of terrifying because, you know, for the last 12 years, I've been trying to break that habit of like every day thinking about like, okay, calories, um, logging, burning, like it's a vicious cycle. And thankfully it hasn't broken me, but it's really hard. And I don't know how people get through it with more, unstable mindsets than I have you know yeah it's I don't either because my head would be spinning all the time and I have also heard of women and this is what really scares me women who will deliberately buy a dress smaller than they are Mm -hmm. a wedding dress that's their quote-unquote goal weight to force themselves to lose a certain amount of weight by their wedding that's scary that is so scary to me and like i don't get me wrong like i did have that intrusive thought for a second but it it i'm already scared that my dress isn't gonna fit already you know like my friend telling me that how she the like they ordered the correct like they take all your measurements right so they they basically do it to your measurements and the fact that this girl is almost like having a nervous breakdown because her dress that should have fit when she didn't gain any weight didn't fit i just feel like every part about the wedding industry is here to break you mentally yeah (laughs) like every like every part of it like not even about like the dress like 
your ring to who you're marrying to how much they contribute to how much money each person puts in to how nice you know how nice your venue is like everything about planning a wedding is psychological warfare and it is so hard to maintain your head above water when you're doing something like that thankfully I you know I've already booked most of the stuff and I have a very like loose vision of what I even want and I really don't care that much about most of it I just want the pictures to look nice and I have a vision for like what the pictures you know should look like but other than that like I never had a dream dress growing up I never had a dream venue I never had like any of these like childhood dreams of like I, I, you know, fairy tale wedding or anything. I just want it to look nice where I look back in 20 years and I go, that was a good idea. You know, right. <laughs> like my dress, everybody talks about like how obsessed they are with their wedding dress and everything. Like I put on the dress and I wasn't, I was like, oh yeah, it's nice. I didn't know what I was supposed to feel when I was trying on these fucking dresses. You know, I tried on maybe five dresses and everybody just kept telling me how great they all were or you know, they were giving me their opinions and everything. And my friends asking the um, the girl helping us, like, all these questions about colors and everything. And I'm like, I don't know what we're supposed to be doing here. So when everybody's like, when I put on the first dress again, I put on the veil and everyone's like, oh, my God, that's your dress. Aww. I'm like, I, all right. Like, like, to this day, like, I'll look back at pictures from that day and I'll look at the pictures uh, on a model because sometimes I just don't want to look at myself anymore. <laughs> I just look at it on the model that has it on and I'm just like... I mean, I guess, but also I feel like that with all of these dresses, I just feel like I just can't keep looking at wedding stuff like that because it'll just break, break my brain because I'm just going to keep criticizing and I'm going to be like, well, it's going to look like shit if I gain weight or it's going to look like shit if I lose weight, you know? Right. And then I'm like, but should I have gotten a fitted dress? Should I have actually gotten the ball gown? Should I have just said, fuck it, $10,000, let's just get a panina? I don't know. <laughs> right. My dad asked so me, like, when we were going, because, you know, they're, they live in New York. My dad's like, are you going to go to Kleinfeld's? And I'm like, who's paying for that? Right. I've heard, I've had a couple of friends who've gone there, and no one ever finds anything. Right, because it's, I mean, it's all just for the show. And I mean, oh, totally. At the end of the day, I genuinely didn't know. I, I still don't know, like, what I would have picked if I didn't pick the dress that I picked. Like, I'm glad I picked a dress and I know it'll look good on my wedding day. But I was like, <laughs> I, because, you know, you, like, the tradition is like you don't show, um, you don't show your fiance until, like, the wedding day, blah, blah. blah. Um, so I'm trying not to do that, but I'm like, even if I showed him the dress like today, he's going to have no reaction to it because it's just a dress. Like it, it, it doesn't, it, it's going to be like when you're in that moment, you walk down the aisle and you, like, that's it. Like, it's all about the moment. It's less about the dress and more about the moment. And I'm trying to like wrap my head around that too, because it's like, even if I don't lose weight or even if I gain weight or even if my like I have a muffin top situation or like I don't look like this perfect silhouette. Like it's not going to fucking matter because at the end of the day, he's going to cry like a baby anyway. Right. <laughs> so it's like. <laughs> that's what gets so lost, I think, in the wedding industry for the brides is we focus so much on how we're going to look. And it causes us so much anxiety when like 
the focus should be on the day. Right. But it's like the wedding industry feeds into that. Oh, they love and it. They fucking they love it. They fucking love it. They and it's it's millions, you, billions from it. You can tell that the wedding industry just gobbles it up because there's always new there's always new things on the market, like new shapewear, new like new diets that you can do. It's just it I laugh at a lot of it because I'm like, this is this is just crazy. I mean, at the end of the day, just get a huge puffy ass skirt and like a maybe a little like uh like shawl thing to like hide your arms and call it a day. Right. Like no one's gonna see your body anyway. So I'm trying to gather my thoughts what my next question was. We could talk about the Marilyn Monroe bullshit yes. situation. Let's get back to that. So yeah. So Kim Kardashian, Lord. Oh, Kim Kardashian said she. when she originally tried on that dress, which I think at like Ripley's Believe It or Not, they had it like conserved or whatever. It didn't fit. It still did not fit womp when womp. she when she wore it at the Met uh, Gala, as we saw, because it was ripped. <laughs> but she says proudly to the person who was interviewing her that she lost 16 pounds in like two weeks mm-hmm. to fit into that dress which is you know what on top of that already being a terrible thing to tell people i'm still trying to get around i'm still trying to wrap my head around the logistics of it because let like let's just call it for what it is marilyn monroe was by today's standards what a size two we all figured out Mm -hmm. kim kardashian regardless if her butt is real fake whatever it's still significantly larger than marilyn monroe's and i just want to know how no matter what she did she could have lost 40 pounds her butt was never fitting in that dress right and that's the thing that i don't i don't understand because kim like, if you don't look at her from, like, the hips and her butt, she's a pretty slender human. Like, she probably is a size two by today's standards. Like, she already is small. So the top half was always going to fit her regardless. I don't think she had to lose any weight. I think the problem was her butt was just too big for the dress. So I'm trying to wrap my head around the fact that she lost 16 pounds when she was fitting in the dress. Anyway, it was just the fact that her butt was too big. Because we saw it in the video. It's the only part that didn't fit her. It's the only part that didn't zip. And that was never going to zip. So I'm just trying to figure out what the purpose of that was. Because she always looked... She always looked the same, you know? I think it was just... She did it so she said she could. Right. I think it was a challenge. I think it was a challenge for her. And it's just... The whole thing just didn't make any sense because no why would you lose 16 pounds to fit into a dress by somebody who is known for being quote-unquote curvy which we've already deducted that by today's standards she's actually pretty way below the average weight of the average you know cis woman but what (laughs) like you already were curvy by today's standards marilyn monroe was iconic for being quote-unquote curvy why the fuck did you lose weight to be non-curvy to fit in a dress for a curvy woman i think she just was for some reason and i still don't understand why she just had to wear this dress so she was gonna do anything she could she also said she wore like it's going back to shapewear that she wore like three layers of shapewear right which again is 
her butt was never going to be any smaller because if it is if it is surgically enhanced which you know everybody speculates you know it is and i'm only saying that it probably is just because she it was the same weight no matter what like if you lose 16 pounds like she would have lost something in her butt i don't think it's still i think it still would have been a problem to fit around it because it's it's just a lot bigger than the average but right i i just watching that video i was just flabbergasted that she even thought that she had to lose weight but again like we just said it was probably a challenge for her she's probably like you know what i'm gonna put my mind to it i'm gonna car- cut carbs gonna cut down sugar and i'm just gonna fucking do it but then on the red carpet she, she, yeah but the the other problem is like the boob situation was weird because of how just pointy it was and she'd lost so much weight that like she didn't really fill that out either and then she she looked really skinny like in a very like unhealthy i just lost 16 pounds by not eating carbs or sugar way right and then it was it's just everything about that situation with without taking into account that it was the iconic dress and all that like to be completely honest with you i couldn't really care less about the dress right. <laughs> you know I, I i really don't care should she have worn it no but like rich people are gonna rich people so it's honestly right it's less kim's fault than it is ripley's fault for letting her even do it right. and then for also sure. it never should have been at ripley's it's yeah why was it at ripley is it not like the met because they something? fucking it's bought like... it for five million dollars Oh my God. Yeah, Ripley's bought it in an auction for five million, and I think Kim paid one million to wear it. So that's insane. That the fact that Ripley's bought it for more than Kim bought it for to wear to just wear for the night. Right. I know fashion conservist. I think that's how you say it. Um, they were really upset by the whole situation. Oh yeah, Everybody because it ruined so, a piece of history. Everybody was so upset, and like right. the other problem that people had was the fact that it was made to match Marilyn's skin tone mm-hmm. and Kim is significantly darker than Marilyn Monroe was so just all around like I get why she did it don't get me wrong it got people to talk it you know the same thing when she said nobody wants to fucking work anymore like everything the Kardashians do is well calculated don't get me wrong right but just everything else about it if you take out the the iconic um controversy of the dress nothing about it made sense like even the replica looked ridiculous on her because she's significantly darker than the dress right (laughs) like even without like her putting like self-tanner or anything she's just naturally a lot tanner of a person than marilyn monroe was right kind of going back to the fact that she said she lost 16 pounds or x amount of weight in three weeks in three weeks to fit into the dress that's also like you mentioned that everything the Kardashians do is calculated. She wanted people to talk. It's like when she posted the um, diuretic lollipops several years ago, the weight loss lollipops, um, <laughs> and people got really upset, rightfully so, because uh, they don't care that they're not being good influences. They don't give a shit that they are making people feel bad about themselves and telling people that it's okay to starve yourselves the other the other thing that i've i've seen that people are upset about is there's been a picture of chloe from the back and people are like oh well 
BBLs aren't aren't trendy anymore, so her butt's significantly flatter. So I'm seeing that swirl around, which is controversial controversial in itself because the Kardashians, you know, pioneered this whole like thick um, revolution, like big butts are in, BBLs for everybody, like cur- curvy hourglass figures. That's the trend. And now but Chloe's it's curves like, in the right places. Yeah, in the right That's places. That's the key, right, quote unquote. And then Khloe Kardashian's like, nah, BBLs aren't in anymore. The 90s are back. Y2K, we're going to go back to Kate Moss. God, yeah. the It's a, it's really scary that the whole heroin chic trend is kind of coming back. And I didn't realize that because I, so I don't follow trends because I wear sweatpants and scrubs on a day-to-day basis. Um but I got really into the whole Y2K um, fashion revival, and I didn't really realize it was happening. I just thought that I was, I thought I was onto something. But no, like Urban Outfitters beat me like a year ago. Right. <laughs> but I, I've been really into the fashion aspect of it because the Y2K fashion, for the most part, other than low rise jeans, like the quote unquote grunge era look and stuff like that, really really cool clothes you know i i bought a couple pieces that i'm like yeah granted everything that i bought is like super baggy and like two sizes too big and everything like that kind of y2k not right the itty- y2k punk scene yeah not the itty bitty right. like i will be dead before i wear low-rise jeans right same <laughs> oh one even it, it even if i had me then and it traumatizes me now even if i had the heroin chic body for low-rise jeans I it's never happening. I'm just not gonna wear low rise jeans. Right. I don't care if right. I was sickly thin. I am not wearing low rise jeans. Right. But anyway, so we're yeah we're yo yoing between two standards right now. From the curves are curves are in, but only if they're in the right places. Now we're going all the way back to oh no curves and you have to be a rail. Which Both things are problematic because it's telling women that they have to look a certain way and anything out of those two things is not pretty. Right. And it's crazy that, uh, you know, I didn't even realize that that was until until I saw that come up onto my Instagram feed. I didn't realize that that is the revival that's happening because I've just mm-hmm. been so focused on the clothing. Like for me, well, that and also like we are just like so like desensitized to thin celebrities like even like our original episode where we were talking about the music industry and just how you know growing up like people like us never thought that we could ever be in a band or we ever could be like a musician because all of these all these people all these cis women are like pretty small so it's like that was the standard I mean it's still the standard if you look up like and that's not to dismiss like any of these people because I'm sure for the most part this is just how their bodies are but just when the standard becomes like thin cis women in the industry and then you look at somebody like me that's like not a thin cis woman by American standards it's just like well what the fuck is the point of trying because I'm just going to be criticized or I'm just not going to feel comfortable or what have you so it's it's very scary to me because I just just want to I just want to vibe I just want to live right <laughs> and like I don't care about trends I mean 
for once I might be trendy because I bought some baggy jeans and like living my best life. Y2K is here back. I got butterfly clips. I am excited. Recycled plastic butterfly clips because the oh, environment. Wow. <laughs> some of us have to care about it, you know? Y2K with a twist. I love it. Y2K, but saving Earth. Right. It's just, and then uh, another thing that I was thinking about is Lizzo has shapewear now. <laughs> yes. I, you know, it's funny. I haven't even thought about, you know, with everything going on in the world, I haven't <laughs> thought about that much, but I've seen it. It's called Yitty. Yeah. Right. But it's a yeah. Fabletics so, brand. So th- that's cool. That's it. So is it? Is it shapewear in the the sense of the word that we're thinking about to make people look smaller? No. Or is it shapewear to make people feel comfortable? So, Because that's a difference. I've watched a lot of videos on Yiddy. The general consensus is it's a nope. <laughs> Mostly because, so I saw from a sustainable aspect because, you know, greenwashing is the next big thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Greenwashing is a huge thing. So... Yiddy is allegedly like this like green eco sustainable brand, but um, apparently it's it's not actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can't remember what somebody was saying, but it's still like fast fashion ma- manufactured. It's run by Fabletics. I, I was gonna say it's made by Fabletics. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, it's not you know a, it, it's a cash grab is basically what it is. Like we love Lizzo, like she does great stuff, but. It's a cash grab for her. It's not really anything that she put her whole heart and soul and pocketbook into, you know. It's a Fabletics brand. But anyway, right. so it's more or less a activewear brand more than a shapewear brand. Because if you look at Skims, that that is shapewear. You know how people right. have, like, the alarming, like, this is supposed to be an extra large and it looks like baby clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have that. That's actual yep. shapewear. And then you have Yiddy that's just, like, stretchy kind of, like, activewear material that could be compressing. That's the general consensus. So I don't know why we needed that. <laughs> it seems like it's more athleisure. Yes. My, that's the my word. guess, my guess, and this is what I'm hoping it is, uh, Lizzo loves to work out. She talks about it all the time mm. and that how she... She works out because it makes her feel good not to lose weight, which I love. And the but stamina. But there's not a lot. Right. And the stamina. But there's not a lot of athleisure and athletic clothing out there for plus size women. Yeah. At all. So maybe this was her attempt at trying to create that. I think it was because. Yeah. I can see. I think that was probably what she was doing. And I did see, like, there's this ad video that runs all the time with um, Lizzo doing a duet with somebody talking about how, like, it was kind of like the Skims thing where this is an extra, extra large, but it looks like it's a small. And Lizzo's like, nope, try it on. Nope. And she's like. (laughs) Oh, I have seen that. She's, like, duetting, like, aggressively, like, no, girl, you have to try it. You have to try it. And then the girl's like, oh, my God, it fits perfect. (laughs) But that's, again, the. The whole sizing thing. Right. And but she, honestly, like. Things things looking small and then fitting 
like looking small and they're like oh my god it fits that's that's screwing with people's head too right which, which is why like when i heard that she was doing shapewear i'm like oh no they got right. her <laughs> i think that well i think they already had her we talked about oh, yeah. the whole the they've had her. the nature cereal thing in the last video the nature the nature cereal um, thing. but it's like you see you see you kind of see Lizzo's foundations cracking sometimes. Like you see the cracks in it, how she is very body positive And, you know, she very much is like, I work out because it makes me feel good. And because she needs the stamina on stage. I mean, she's playing a fucking flute and running around and singing, I love it. you know, yeah. even the average, like quote unquote thin person should be working out just for stamina, you know, right? how like H Haley Williams jumps on a trampoline in her home and, you know, sings Paramore songs because stamina, right. you know, you need that. Miley Cyrus was on a treadmill, like running, singing Rebel Girl um, by Bikini Kill for anticipation Love for that. the uh, the Super Bowl. Like women of all shapes and sizes should work out if they're a performer just for optimal performance. But anyway, I digress with that. Um, Lizzo, sometimes you, I feel like you see the cracks in that foundation and how sometimes like I feel the diet culture is getting to her yeah and it's sad yeah. because i think it is impossible to be considered fat in hollywood and not succumb to you know diet culture i mean i'm just gonna say it i feel like people will agree adele rebel wilson they yeah. they claim they did it for themselves you're gonna sit there and tell me that years of criticism being called fat and being told that they were ugly and all that didn't get to them to, in some in some way right you know and it's like i they can tell me all day that they did it for themselves but i'm never gonna believe it because you know it's hollywood right i feel like every they did it every they did it for themselves in terms to quiet the voices yes. in their own head I, that were i feel like right. I feel like Adele more so than Rebel Wilson. I don't really know much about Rebel Wilson, but just like the stark difference in her body. And I'm sure that weighed on her a lot. I mean, it's hard not to. I mean, the average person, you know, it weighs right. on every fucking day. I can only imagine being in Hollywood. I mean, like, Did look at Billie Eilish. You know, I'm sure that that weighs on her as a fucking 20 year old. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why she wears a lot of baggy clothes. Like she said that. She's like, I don't want people to focus on my body. And we, we talked about this a little, too, in the past, how when that Vanity Fair um, photo shoot was released. Oh, yeah. Um, people were, like, freaking the fuck out. And she's like, y'all are, y'all are, like, making my point here. Like, this is why I wear baggy clothes. And then, because she doesn't want attention on her body. She doesn't want it to be criticized. And then, and then she just, we never really see her wearing anything like that again. And she just did it because she could and because she turned, you know, she turned a certain age and she's like, you know, fuck it. But. Right. But isn't that sad how she feels like the only way to keep the attention on her music is to not show her body yeah that's how that's how scrutinized women's bodies are i feel like if Billie eilish did not wear baggy clothing for most of her career i feel like she would have succumbed to an eating disorder i mean i'm not a oh, psychologist yeah. but i'm just based on how hollywood goes i just i i feel like it would be you know Haley williams says it all the time how if she was Billie eilish today 
like if if Paramore started in today's era, she never would have made it. Right. I mean, for a lot of reasons, not just diet culture reasons, but I don't know. I mean, that might be a harsh and really wide claim to make, but I just feel like based on, I mean, she's only 20, right? She's been doing this since she was 14. I feel like it's just so difficult to not to succumb to that. And I feel like it was very smart of her to just for most of her career until she, you know, developed a little more mentally. Cause I feel like now it doesn't really affect her that much because she's mentally more prepared for it. But I think I sent this to you. um, I'm pretty sure I sent this to you, but um, Harley Quinn Smith, Kevin Smith's daughter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How she got criticized because aren't vegans supposed to be skinny Yes, I, I you did. Send I that sent to that me. to you, and I was like, I was appalled because that woman's body is, I it's just like, I I don't get it. I if she is considered fat or considered non skinny, I there is no hope. There's no hope right. for anybody. Honestly, everybody's going to have an an eating disorder reading that at some point. Yeah. Because Lizzo's also been criticized because she she's vegan also and people have been like horrible. Yeah. To her about well, that's it. why I bring it up because I know Billy's vegan and Billy's body does not quote unquote reflect what a vegan looks like. So I'm sure that she gets that all the time. And I just like right. oh and Lizzo Lizzo's fucking vegan too. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Lizzo's vegan. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't hear if you said Billy or or Lizzo, but I'm like I'm pretty sure she I said Lizzo. Yeah. But either way, yeah. like. Those two women, they're vegan and they're not thin. It has nothing to do right. with fucking by standards, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a vegan for a couple months. I wasn't considered fucking thin. I mean, by certain mm-hmm. standpoints. Yeah. I mean, definitely not by Hollywood standpoint. Uh, you know. I feel like everyone in like everyone in Hollywood has been vegan one time or another. Yeah. And I think a lot like they all say, Oh, it's for the environment, but it's for diet. I have a feeling a lot of it is dieting. It yeah. is even and it's, even Haley Williams. I think was vegan for a little. She might still be vegan, but she was like really into it for a little while. She was doing raw vegan. Yeah, yeah. Well, a she, couple of years ago, I think she said that she she didn't consider herself vegan because she ate fish. Right. So I remember her saying that. I you know what's weird about that is that she stopped being vegan, like as vegan, like. She, I feel like she incorporates a lot more uh, meat into her diet and a lot less like, like you, you would think like five years ago, like, oh, she eats a vegan diet. And now you'd be like, oh, she's just probably, you know, conscious of her, her diet. But it's weird to me because it happened after her divorce. And I don't think Chad's a vegan. No, I can definitely tell you that I could see the difference in because, you know, uh, Chad is, you know, hardcore straight edge for life, you know, like edge to life. Um, I can tell that she probably had to hide her drinking or just stop drinking to fit that standard because he probably didn't oh, want to totally. be, be with somebody that drank. Um, right. So now, you know, you hear all you hear stories of her, you know, drinking wine and, you know, or she's drunk or, or something just in her own daily life. I mean, she talked about just normal. Yeah, for someone in there. I mean, she talked about 20s, drinking a, a bottle of wine in the bathtub on a, on the rose colored boy shoot and stuff like that. Like, she's very open now about the fact that she drinks alcohol. But like five years ago, she she I mean, she wore straight edge shirts all the fucking time when she was right. with Chad. So I wonder if that played a role in it. 
But it would be very interesting to me because he's not vegan from what I know. Right. But I know very little about Chad Gilbert because if I knew much more about him, I would just, I don't know what I would do. Brain would explode. I would explode and I would, you know, (laughs) try to out him as a Trump supporter. I'd find the lawn right. sign. I'd find his house and I'd find the lawn sign. And I'd post Do it. Do you really? Wait, he is a Trump. He's he has definitely a-, a Trump supporter. Oh, my God. I heard that his wife is a big Trumper. I would not be surprised. Like, it's just, you know what pisses me off the most? And I know that this is a separate tangent. But it's fine. what pisses me off is that Newfound Glory, just in general, like, not even just Chad, they never address political issues. I think no, it's because I think it's because at least one of them being Chad is a Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. There is nothing like ever like even when uh Haley would talk about issues and stuff like that when they were married, he would never talk about polit- political issues ever. And like yeah. she would always talk about like gay rights and you know abortion and you know trans rights, racism you know everything political or what people deem political that would go on and you it's easy it's safe to say that you know she's very liberal leaning or at least left-leaning but chatty no 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 chadwick my boy he definitely licks the boot oh oh yeah i'm not surprised definitely loves cops But anyway, Going that's that's the- for another that's for another day. Another another day, different episode. Different episode. Oh, God. <laughs> different podcast, maybe. <laughs> but going back to to Haley for a minute, I f- she said in the past that she struggled with not necessarily eating disorders, but like her body and disordered eating. Because even though she's tiny, like how can you not in this industry, especially in the punk scene in the early two thousands? That even though the clothes was more baggy, leaned into that heroin chic body type i mean look at it now it's still it's still the fucking same oh yeah <laughs> like it is uh even band i can't i can't tell you a single cis female artist today that i listen to regularly that is not thin you know and yeah. it's just that's just who i listen to like i'm not seeking them out like my top 10 cis female artists are thin and it's just yeah. And and that will segue into what I what I was talking to you about that might be uh, controversial, <laughs> but fuck it, I'm saying it anyway. You know what I'm gonna say. Say it. So, I have beef with Halsey. <laughs> oh yes, I remember this. I this is the vo- was this the voice text or the long text message? Uh, this was this <laughs> was the long two. text message where I sent you like twelve texts in a row with yes. photographic proof. Yes. So I don't think this is controversial. I think this is a really good point. And I, I'm going to preface this like I prefaced it with you. I don't have actual beef with Halsey. I think what they do is very good. I've talked about Halsey a lot on my podcast. I think, you know, sometimes they say things and you're like, what are you doing? But I mean, that's everybody. I mean, the things that they say are, you know... Th- they, they have these really highs and then sometimes they say something dumb, but it's all learning. I mean, at the end of the day, like they're a 27 year old person, you know, right. I'm 29. And some days I say really dumb shit that I'm like, oh, my God, I should, you know, reel that back and I should really, you know, look inward. But 
Same. Something that has plagued me about Halsey is Halsey had a baby and then went on SNL um, a couple months after she had a baby, right? And she made this really long post with a couple photos of her her post-baby body because everybody was praising her for, you know, what they looked like. And obviously looked great, you know, seemed very thin, seemed like very pushed into that that bodysuit that they were wearing, you know, for all intents and purposes, did not look like they just had a baby, right? So they wrote this big, long thing on Instagram about how um, her body was always going to be talked about. It's just the nature of the beast, but wants to have solidarity with people that have just had children and that you don't need to go back to your pre-baby body because, spoiler alert, you'll never go back to your pre-baby body because you've had a baby, you know? post some pictures of her stomach with some stretch marks and showed like the day after having their baby all of that good stuff great woohoo that's a win for you know people that are insecure about their post baby body until two months later posts a fucking photo snatched as all hell and yes i'm gonna say the word snatched because that was like christina aguilera dirty era snatched and yeah. that was kind of like the look that was going on in that photo that I showed you, you know, the, the leather chaps and just like um, bikini top kind of vibe, whale tail looking. And I just have such a problem with that because and, and I said this to you and I'll say this here. Um, Halsey has been very open about, you know, medical issues that they've been having and stuff like that. And I don't doubt that the things that are going on with them medically probably play into their body. You know, I, it, it has to. I mean, you know, if you're weak, you're probably not, you know, you're probably not 100% healthy and all that stuff. You can't really do anything about that. So I'm not criticizing the fact that they're thin. I'm just criticizing the fact that you're going to go on this huge, like you're going to stand on this soapbox and say, it's okay to not look like you did before a baby. I still do. And then post a photo two months later of you looking thin, probably thinner than you were pre-baby and just living your life. And then even to this day, like her tour body looks incredible. And I'm sure that she worked hard for it. And I'm not saying that she didn't work hard for her body or that medical issues are making her look the way that she does. I'm not criticizing why she looks the way she does. I'm just talking about if you're going to get on a soapbox and talk about how it's okay to not look, you know, thin because you just had a baby and then post pictures of you being really thin. (laughs) It's just really hypocritical. And it's just like Halsey does stuff like that. And it's it's kind of like read the room kind of vibe. And it's just it it still bothers me. (laughs) And I think that I think her baby is a year old now. But it's just the stark, it, it's just like such a hard line of, hey, here's my body. It's okay. And then two months later, the next post on Instagram is you looking shredded. And then every other post after that is like, you're kind of mocking people because you're wearing itty bitty clothes showing off how good your body looks. Right. <laughs> and that's the Which, problem. Like, more power to her that she feels happy in her body right now and no matter someone's size i'm sure the postpartum 
body is hard, even if they are thin to someone else. But when you have a platform like that and you are saying one thing and then showing another thing, like you have to consider that. Right. And that's the, that makes sense what I'm saying. And that's the thing. It's like, there is, I'm trying to find it. There's no, like I'm taking completely out of the equation, um, you know, how she got there because that doesn't matter. But I mean, there's five photos here of, you know, I guess right before she gave birth and then right after, like probably a day or two after. But it's like, it, it's kind of tone deaf because a lot of yes. yeah. non-famous people do not get to their pre-baby weight back that fast, you know? Because right. they don't have the means. Right. The money, the means. They don't have the, the time. time to work out all the time, which, you know... You shouldn't be working out all the time, but, like, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's just, it just, she was so close. She was just so close to being right. they were definitely really close. And then ruined it. But she looks, she looks great. I mean, I'm sure she worked hard to look the way that she does. I'm sure that um, her concerts have been amazing. I didn't see her when she came to Nashville. I ain't got that kind of money or time. <laughs> right. I think it, it's a fine line with body positivity. How do I word this? <laughs> I hear, and I th- think this is important to bring up because for all intents and purposes, you and I have pretty average size yeah. bodies. We are not considered plus size and need to make sure to leave room for plus size voices in the body positive movement where was i going with this right like that makes sense what i'm saying right so i just lost my train of thought um well that's why i try oh my god what was my point (laughs) now i had like circling back to to halsey leave yeah so for all intents and purposes you and i have pretty average body types and within the body positive movement a movement that was started by people in larger bodies we need to make sure to leave room for those voices going back to halsey that is what she did not do (laughs) with that post i see a lot of plus size like people with plus sized bodies talking about their frustration with where the body positive movement has gone because they feel like it's been co-opted by people in straight sized bodies. Yeah. And I agree too. You know, sometimes, and I tried, I, I tried that line uh, on my podcast too, with things that I don't know anything about because I'm not part of certain groups that I talk about, but you know, it's important to bring it up, you know, to highlight it, but also not talk over people And it's hard because sometimes, you know, I never complain. You know, I always try to be very, um, very, like, I I read the room whenever I talk about sensitive topics because at the end of the day, you don't know what people are thinking. You know, I could be in a room with people that I just met. I could be in a room with 10 people that I don't know and start talking about my body and not know who's going to go home and 
you know, that's going to trigger. So I try to, I try my absolute best to not even bring it. Like in my daily life, I never really bring up weight or dieting or anything because a, I'm trying to be way better in my adult life at getting over my own triggers and to not carrying eating disorder into my thirties, even though that'll always be with me, but trying not to have that, those intrusive thoughts as much, but also, you know, the people around me, you never know what people are thinking. Even if they tell you a majority of the time what they're thinking, you never know everything. Like for me personally, the context, there are people around me that sometimes they just casually talk about dieting and weight and everything. And they make comments about their own body and they talk about other people's bodies and they don't know inside that I'm thinking about everything that they're saying and I'm going home and I'm trying my best not to overanalyze my own body and my own eating habits, you know? Exactly. Everybody's fighting a silent battle in all regards, not just, you know, diet culture and stuff like that. So I just think that I'm just, I'm, I'm disappointed. And I feel like nobody, I I feel like when I first brought it up to you, I had looked in the comment section. I didn't see anybody talking about it. And I feel, I felt really alone and I didn't want to say anything because what that post was, was really, was really good. Then right after, like two months later, you're going to post a picture of yourself not in solidarity with people. It's just kind of a slap in the face. It's kind of like the way that some people feel when a really thin person speaks about body inclusivity. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, but uh, <laughs> you're almost And that's, that's why I brought that up. Yeah. That because that was the my brain was trying to circle back, but was not circling. <laughs> it was doing more of a squiggle, trying to circle back to the Halsey thing where it's a slap in the face to people that have larger postpartum bodies or never get their body back. Right. The majority of people after they have kids are not going to get their body back. And her going or they going and saying, yeah, love your postpartum body. And then two months later looking like she worked out and has abs again. (laughs) Like, but that's the problem that too. doesn't make people feel good yeah and that's the problem too it's like it's it's not about the journey that got you there it's just the fact that like you clearly did something to not look like you just had a baby you know whether it was right. working out because you wanted to get ready for tour or it doesn't matter the reason why you did it you still did it <laughs> right that's like exactly that's like me saying like you know i love my body everything is perfect I don't care if I don't fit into my wedding dress you know they'll make it work they'll have to alter it around me and then you know log off here and then start actively like working out aggressively and you know knowing that I'm going to try my best to fit into my wedding dress if not become smaller it's just I think a lot of people lose sight of what they're putting out on the internet and what they're doing in their life I know the internet is not real it never has been and it never will be you know, as much as we try to be authentic on the internet, it's never a hundred percent, you know, I can make a post today on Instagram and say that I'm totally happy with my body and you should be too. But in the background, like I'm still counting calories and making sure that my dinner doesn't, you know, go over a certain amount of sugar or carbs, you know, it's just celebrities need to understand 
that significantly in this day and age considering how much is going on now i mean diet culture is only getting worse it's never getting any better especially with what we were just talking about like y2k bodies are back low-rise jeans are in for some reason they were never in in the beginning but now they're in again we're trying again folks and it's just you know that it'll never go away you know the punk scene is always going to be the heroin chic you know, these these runway models, at the end of the day, they could say that they're inclusive all they want, but Victoria's Secret is always going to want that specific body type. Right. And, you know, we got we to gotta give credit where credit is due. There's a lot of companies out there that are doing their darndest. I mean, Girlfriend Collective, I got to give a shout out to them. I, I love their, um, I, I love them as a company. There's a little uh, controversies here and there that people have problems with, um, but as far as you know inclusivity i mean they have activewear on like 6xl bodies yeah also you big know. bud press that's another one big bud press yes. oh my god we love big bud press in this house but, but as five years ago i could have never seen myself in my body type wearing a like a jumpsuit and yeah. like now they're showing jumpsuits on bodies my size and larger and it looks awesome and they're totally changing the mindset of what people in larger bodies or curvier bodies can and can't wear and it's awesome yeah and i like i said i have to give credit where credit is due i mean we didn't have that 10 years ago and if we did they were not as accessible right but it's also we have a huge hill to climb and i think that a lot more people need to get on that mindset but i you know i do have hope because we do have we do have people out there that are talking about it. I mean, we have people like Billie Eilish. We have people like Lizzo. And I mean, there's cracks in their foundations, you know, but we do have people like that to look up to. Like I said, it's just disappointing to see that I feel like a lot of celebrities have felt the pressure to finally succumb. You know, I'm never going to believe Adele. Sorry. Right. (laughs) Sorry, Adele. (laughs) I think it's important to add that it's not fully their fault. Yeah, no, it's not. Because they're, they succumb to the same system that we do. I talked about this in my first episode, which is now, this is the first episode from now, but that one's still out there. But I mean, it's been a year and a half, like, you know, we're starting this over. One of the points in my first episode was, it's really hard for us to blame celebrities fully because they are stuck in the same diet culture system that we are yeah we should be blaming the companies and the industries that feed off of diet culture and that that in itself is what this podcast is about it's about diet culture and pop culture um it's these companies that reach out to these celebrities like you know we could talk about the weight loss lollipops with kim kardashian or what was another big one over flat tummy the tea. past couple of, the flat tummy tea they reach out to these celebrities and they get into their psyche and they feed into what they don't like about themselves and they're like here try this product it will it will make you thin and we'll give you $500,000 if you'll promote it to your followers. Um, that's what these companies are doing. You know, did you see <laughs> did you see the Kim Kardashian incognito commercial? No. What is it? 
So I think it was incognito or it was um, impossible. I think it was impossible meat. Kim Kardashian. Oh, not- wait. Yes, I did see that. I did see that. <laughs> but these, so these companies are feeding on celebrities insecurities and then in turn feeding on our insecurities through these celebrities. So it's... I have a hard time placing full blame on people in the spotlight because they are being preyed on also. Yeah. Well, um, I remember I sent you this video of this YouTuber that dissected the friends diets of all of them from the 90s. Oh, yeah. That was such an interesting video. That YouTuber does such a good job in talking about how toxic diet culture was even back in the 90s and it's just so it's just so sad because I feel like that resurgence is coming back of like the 90s like the 90s problems Nutrisystem you remember when the Kardashians did the Nutrisystem commercial that was like the OG oh yeah (laughs) it kind of started with them it did I mean we, we can I mean I'm still gonna partially blame them right but also it's not 100 percent anybody's fault because at the end of the day you know you have a choice like they have a choice to promote the brand or not but also you know they shouldn't be approached for it anyway i um that youtuber was talking about how jennifer aniston was like really like well known to be on the atkins diet Mm mm-hmm and um, she ate the same salad every single day on set. I've heard this. So, yeah. I, funny enough, that YouTuber did a um, did an update of the Jen salad. So the Jen salad on TikTok is not actually the salad that she ate on Friends. It's apparently totally different. Okay. But she did not deny that she ate the same salad every day for ten years. <laughs> she just yeah. did not eat that salad. But she did eat the same salad every. But day she for did 10 eat years. the same salad. Yeah. Right. And the and the YouTuber was like, and not in her defense, it the real salad probably has less calories and nutrition than the Gen salad on TikTok. Right. Yeah, it's a fine line of no, we can't fully blame them, but also they don't have to promote promote it. You know, like Nutrisystem, man. <laughs> unpacked an uncomfortable memory for me. Nutrisystem, and then there was the Jenny Craig diet, and, and then, then Weight Watchers. There was a Suzanne Summers diet, too. Oh, My yeah. mom had a book. I don't remember how popular it was, but um, Suzanne Summers and Atkins were, like, the big ones, and then South Beach. Yeah. Rob Lowe used to promote the Atkins diet. I remember oh, yeah. that. I think he still he does. He still fucking does. still around. <laughs> Rob yeah. Lowe's an interesting character. Like, yeah, he Truly. Is. But that's what I mean. It's like they these celebrities succumb to it too, whether it's for money or it's because they genuinely like the product and feel like it's helping them get rid of their insecurities and you know, giving them eating disorders. I they're, remember they're the succumbing flat- to something. <laughs> I bought it wasn't called flat tummy tea, but it was like a detox tea. I oh, still yeah. have I still have not opened that box to this day. I just bought it because I this was like a couple of not even a couple of years ago this was like 10 years ago now like 
I just started, like, I just got a gym membership. I cut soda. I was like, I'm going to be a better person. You know, eating disorder. Woo. I don't know who that is. This is not the start of something terrible. Um, <laughs> I bought the, I bought that, like, detox tea. To this day, I'm like, the fuck was a tea going to do? <laughs> it's just a diuretic. I used to drink it, and it just hurt my stomach. And maybe you had to go to the bathroom because it's a diuretic. It does the same shit that those sugar-free gummy bears do. <laughs> it, that's what it is it's like coffee is a diuretic too just like just drink like and i'm not condoning this don't just only drink black coffee but like if you want a diuretic black coffee is right there cheap. <laughs> uh, coffee's right there right but people are so desperate to to lose weight to fit the standard that they'll literally eat or drink something that will make them shit themselves I there was like this article I don't remember where it was but it was like a 70s or 80s maybe even 90s diet and it was like you drink a cup of black coffee you have like one piece of like you have one egg in the evening you have one cup of black coffee and then in the evening for dinner you have like one cup of red wine I mean one glass of red wine and like one piece of lettuce it was something ridiculous but coffee was for all three meals right because coffee diuretics make you think that you're full and then they empty everything else out of your system yeah but i mean truth to be told though you don't need a detox tea i feel like most teas are diuretics anyway. right because they're gonna make you pee right so i right. just don't understand the whole point of a detox tea right <laughs> unless also, you fe- feel like oh yeah it's running through me the tea is clarifying me in all of my sins oh my god Oh, that's a whole other industry. The the clean, the clean eating industry, and oh, the detox the industry is a whole is a whole another branch of diet culture that I. Oh, the detox yeah detox yeah. culture. <laughs> detox culture and um not only detox culture but not eating anything that's not clean, like raw vegan raw you know what I mean like an organic the organic right. industry and how that's well, just basically well, a scam. That goes into orthorexia, which is another type of eating disorder, but it's like the anxiety, it's less about the body, what your body looks like, and more about the fear of what you're putting into your body. Oh, God, then I've had that for like 12 years. Right. It still fucks with people's heads, and it's still considered an eating disorder, kind of like PICA is an eating disorder also, where you're like eating things that aren't actual food. <laughs> yeah. Like, ce- like fucking celery. Or ice a lot of people with oh, pizza, ice. like are addicted to ice but then there's the more extreme like people who eat chalk oh yeah um <laughs> conversation for another day i that is not my area of expertise <laughs> i just like you know it's funny it's funny you bring that up and i i brought this up in the last time we recorded is like you know that is such a big part of eating disorders and diet culture because I and I still do this like even like 12 years later man I um like I told you I will not I I have a fear of eating Oreos because I know that Oreos the serving size is two so I know I won't just eat two but if I have an Oreo like very rarely and I eat more than two the whole day my whole day is ruined because I'm like, I should have never eaten even just the serving size. Oreos are bad for me. I'm going to die. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, I still have that mentality to this day. And I fucking love Oreos, man. 
It was so good. But I used to be like that, and I've gotten a lot better with it with, like, any treats from, like, fast food restaurants. So, like, yeah. a McFlurry or ice cream or even, like, a donut from Dunkin' Donuts because I, you know, I was told, oh, this is a treat. It's, like, once a year, special occasions. So... The high holidays. I would... Right, high holidays. Um, I would, like... When I started driving, um, I realized, wait, I can do anything I want now. It's dangerous. And like, I would have, I would have, I'd pass McDonald's and I'd be like, ooh, I want a McFlurry. And then I'd start shaming myself for yeah. wanting a McFlurry. I'm like, Paige, it's not a big deal. Like, you, you can have a fucking McFlurry. Like, it's not You're gonna, not gonna it, die. I'm not gonna die. It's not gonna ruin your day or week or month by having a mcflurry like just like anything don't go get a mcflurry any every day but like so that's the problem is that right. being an adult is so right. dangerous like for me like i i keep making cake well because i think for us especially because we having a history of eating disorders we're so used to that binge restrict cycle that uh -huh. it's all or nothing so it's like if i allow myself to have a mcflurry then I'm going to want a McFlurry all the time. That's the problem. That's me right, right. now, man. Well, the, yeah, that's the problem. And that's like that, 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 the word balance. And I know if you're listening to this and you've been in the world of eating disorders and, and treatment and recovery, you get you've it. heard the word balance your whole life. And it probably makes your head explodes because like, what is balance exactly? But like finding that sweet spot between having what you want but not binging but also not restricting allowing yourself to have what you want but how do you know it's really your voice and not the eating disorder voice telling you you know what i mean it's like yeah. that's my struggle every day but like i've gotten so much better at it because like we so for the last like couple weeks i've been making uh cake like i usually try to like bake i'll bake either a cake because there's three of us in the house like i'll bake cake or i'll bake cupcakes or we've been eating or we've been baking just like enough tall house cookies just for everyone to get like one or two so i've been trying that or like me and colin will share a piece of cake or we'll share ice cream or we'll share something so i've been trying to get better at this elusive balance <laughs> but it's just it's scary because i I sometimes I think I'm doing really well and I'm like yeah like I've do definitely overcome a lot of stuff in over the last like 10 12 years and then I have like the Oreo thing where it's like I can't buy Oreos or this is going to be the death of me or like I can't have fast food because if I have fast food once like that's it like I'm just going to go into a downward spiral like I quit soda like I used to drink so much soda big soda drinker I would have probably like uh, like in like how smokers have like a hat like a pack a day like I was literally going through like a case every day or every two days it was it was really bad but it was just it was my only vice because I don't drink I don't do drugs I don't smoke like I don't have any other vices and like I wasn't drinking a lot of coffee back then like I was still drinking coffee but not the way that I am now as an adult but in high school I was just really bad I was on like a big soda kick big sugar person and then one day I was at my uh, my brother's best friend's wedding and I'm just like this is my last one I just went cold turkey and that was in 2010 <laughs> and I haven't had and a soda haven't since had, like soda at all since then no so that's the problem is that I'm convinced that if I have a soda again 
I will I will go back or that I will feel so miserable about myself that I will instantly gain an immense amount of weight that I will shame myself for, which I know is an insane thought. That won't happen. If I drink one soda, most likely nothing's going to happen except so my blood does, sugar might rise a little bit. Sodas become your fear food. It is. That is my number one fear food. And what's crazy is like every once in a while when we go to the movies, I'll get a I'll get a cherry slushy just because they're so good. And it's, that's the treat for me. That's something that I'll have like maybe once or twice a year. Like that's a genuine treat for me. But I have that fear in the back of my head. I was like, what's well, technically a soda? I mean, if if it's not as frosty and everything, the core of it is is cola, you know, and I just feel like. I, I they give you like the one size and they say here you go fill it up as right. much as you want I always fill it up halfway because I feel like I'm cheating and <laughs> soda has scared the shit out of me for over 12 years wow. and it's and it sucks because it's like and I don't miss it because a that habit is expensive anyway b I like coffee way more than I miss drinking soda and also like I have to drink more water. I just, I just have to, right. you know, as, as somebody approaching their thirties, I really should just drink more water anyway. But yeah, like it's my number one fear food. And then Oreos are kind of a close second, but not as bad. Like fast food is another one. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't a big fast food eater, but whenever it's offered to me, I almost always will say no. Even if I'm starving, like even if I'm starving is the only food we'll be able to have for like two hours. I will most likely still say no, even if I like something from that fast food place, because I'm just so overwhelmed and consumed with the intrusive thoughts of this is it. Mm -hmm. You do this and you say bye bye to all the work you've done for like two years. Like if I have just lost weight, like say I've just lost like 10 pounds healthily and like done everything that I should be doing. It just like happened. If I have like fries from McDonald's, it's like, nope, you just undid all that. You're stupid. Why would you do that? That's an eating disorder thought. Yeah, and it sucks. You know, and I don't I don't say that because I don't want people to be scared and I don't want people to think that like I am unwell, but you know, it's just the nature of the beast is like that shit still stays with you and it's like it's it's something you work on every single day. And I always thought that that was an insane thought to have or like to have a fear of food or to like have these fears but it's more common than you think it's just people don't talk about it because a it is pretty triggering and also because people also think that it's insane and they don't want to talk about it because it's kind of taboo but you know i really want oreos right now <laughs> so on the subject of fear foods i so i've been on a weird journey not a weird journey, an interesting journey over the past year and a half with my relationship with food. I used to have a lot of fear foods. And when I was in treatment, I had a lot of fear foods. I'm just in recovery. Like, I wouldn't eat french fries for a long time. And then, like, my fear foods switched to, you know, McFlurries or, like, wouldn't allow myself to drink, like, sweet tea because I was just afraid that I was going to eat or drink so much of it that I would just, we use the word, fall off the wagon or my eating disorder disclosing this to everyone my the eating disorder i've struggled with most is binge eating disorder so unlike people with anorexia my problem is i still go through the binge restrict cycle but my problem is mostly binging um and my weight fluctuates typically on the higher side and that makes things harder as someone with an eating disorder because you're looked at as wrong 
if you're fatter and not everyone believes you have an eating disorder. But I digress. So I have a lot of fear foods and there's a lot of thoughts that or had a lot of fear foods and there's a lot of thoughts that went to my head. Well, like, okay, if you eat it, are you giving in to your binges or are you trying to find balance? And if I don't eat it, am I restricting or am I trying to find balance? So I have like the restriction voice in my head all the time and also the binging voice in my head. It's exhausting. So about a year and a half ago, maybe it was two years ago, it was around the time the pandemic started, I decided okay, I'm going to try this intuitive eating thing that everyone's talking about. Um, and basically, the way you start intuitive eating, so eventually, supposedly, with intuitive eating, you're, I just said intuitive eating like six times. Well, eventually, you're supposed to be able to intuitively, as the title says, know what your body not only needs, but wants. Um so, you know, you'll be able to, as you should, food doesn't become scary anymore and you'll be able to eat anything and you're not going to place a good or a bad label on anything. That, that's the goal of where to get to. But to start that, and this is what was so hard, especially because I'm a binge eater, I had to just allow myself to eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And I leaned into that. Because I was like, okay, let's try this. Um, yes, it was really freeing. And yes, my eating disorder voices went away. And that was great. However, eventually, I relapsed back into binge eating. So I had to step back from that. And it wasn't until I stepped back from intuitive eating that I realized the intuitive eating actually worked. <laughs> because I stepped back from it and the intrusive thoughts weren't really there anymore. Because I had allowed myself to eat anything and didn't put a label on it and eat whenever I wanted. When I stopped doing that, where did this thought just go? When I stopped doing that, I realized that it didn't serve me anymore. Like eating whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, didn't serve me anymore. So I could go back to eating quote unquote normally and not feel like I was restricting myself and realizing, yeah, I can have a cookie whenever I want. That doesn't mean I have to have a cookie whenever I want. Does that make sense? That's how I am, though. Like, I I do all of that. I, I'm the same way now as an adult. Like, I'm huge binge and restrict. I'm not as... Uh, I don't go that, that intensely into binging now, but I do more restrict. Like, there, there are times where I, I won't, I won't go that, that off, off the rails with with binging but I'll have more than like the, the average day like I'm not hungry anymore but I still want a snack kind of kind of feel but I won't you know make myself sick um and I space it out a little bit but I definitely shouldn't have had that second snack kind of kind of deal but what I've been doing is because I'm so afraid of undoing the progress that I did I will binge to a degree but then 
you know, the next day or like when I can, if I know that I don't have to cook dinner for anybody other than myself, like I cut sugar or I, I do low carb, you know, I do those dangerous things just to kind of quote unquote detox my body. And it's just one of those things where I don't do it often. Like I've only done it like once or twice in this whole cycle of since last year when I lost weight, but it's really scary when you get that thought of like the binge and restrict, like sometimes you go really, really crazy and you binge binge or you go the complete opposite and you restrict and you Mm -hmm. have like 300 calories for the day and you're like, yeah, I'm great. (laughs) The funny thing about binging and restricting is I feel like the intrusive thoughts we're having that make us either binge or restrict are the same. It's just like, it's, it's, the way we're coping with those thoughts so like when i'm binging i i don't feel great and i'm having thought i'm, I'm shaming myself for binging yeah, but i'm still doing it because i don't feel like i have any self-control and i have these intrusive thoughts where i'm like you're fat you're ugly you're horrible why are you doing this and then i'm and then i'm eating to make myself feel better and make the voices shut up and when i restrict it's the same thing it's, yeah. it's those voices are in my head that are saying you shouldn't eat because you're fat, you're ugly, you're this and that, blah, 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 blah. And what do I do? I don't eat to shut that up. It's crazy because that literally is how it is. Because there are times where, you know, I'll, I'll look at like an old picture of myself or like pre, you know, COVID weight loss time or just something like I, we were watching videos from the pen, uh, like I don't remember when it was, but it, it could have been right before. We were touring houses because we're uh, – so this was pre-pandemic, actually. We were touring houses because <laughs> I was going to buy a house in 2020 because oh, that was a smart Sam. idea. I know. It was stupid. But anyway, I that was that was my dumb mistake of 2020. Um, so I was going to buy a house, and we were touring houses, so we were taking videos. And I was just looking at myself, n- knowing I was 20 pounds heavier back then, and I was like uh, – I really shouldn't eat carbs today because I don't want to look like that again. And that's terrible because then it's scary I, how those thoughts pop the up the whole day. I'm just like, no, I, you know, you thought you were going to have a good day and you thought you were going to eat whatever you wanted to, you know, to a degree, like a healthy amount of food, like a real meal. And you're like, no, maybe you shouldn't have three meals today. Maybe have like one and a half. But you know, the good thing is, you know, you have those thoughts, but then also you have the combat thoughts where you're like, no, you know, you know what you have to do. You know that you've gained weight. You know, you've lost weight. This is balance. This is what you, you know, you don't have to restrict yourself. Just maybe don't have six cookies today. Maybe have right. two. <laughs> right. And that's the, that's like the, the third wolf, you know, there's two wolves inside of you. There's the binge until you throw up. And then there's the eat 200 calories today because you're, you're too fat to eat any real food. And then you have the third wolf. It's like, you can have both. Yeah. <laughs> and that third wolf is the one that gets lost when it's like the one we need. That like, third wolf is fighting for its fucking life. It really is. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I just lost my train of thought again. This happens a lot. Speaking of, oh. ADD. That's what I was going to bring up. This is so I get those intrusive thoughts sometimes, too. Uh, Full disclosure, I have ADHD, clearly. Um, I am on Vyvanse for ADHD. Um, 
it also happens to treat binge eating, but that's, like, another, like, an added benefit. Um, but sometimes with Vyvanse and any ADHD medicine, you hyperfixate. And I'll hyperfixate to the point where I will forget to eat, which is what happened today. Um, when I saw your text and I'm like, oh, I've been organizing all this makeup for hours and oh shoot I forgot to eat lunch and for a split second there was a voice in my head that said well just don't eat lunch Steph if you don't eat lunch maybe you'll lose weight and I had to combat that voice and go make myself a fucking sandwich (laughs) and eat no bitch you have to do it (laughs) because sometimes that wolf is just it rears its head again He's he's lost the real the good one the good wolf. He's yeah. I don't remember fully what my point was with that, but it was because you had mentioned that like you'll see a photo of yourself, and you'll have a thought where you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't eat carbs today. I'll forget to eat because of my ADHD medicine, and then I'll be like, oh, well, just don't eat that. You know what? Maybe I don't need to. <laughs> right, and that's actually why like. A lot. Of, there are some doctors that uh, really recommend Vyvanse for binge eating, and then there are other doctors that are like, absolutely not, because it can also make you relapse in the opposite direction. <laughs> so it's a thin line, and I have been on this medication in the past and went off of it for two years because of that, but now I'm on it again with a doctor who's constantly like monitoring me. But yeah, fine line. I'm, I'm really walking a thin line here but fighting for my life every day actually yeah <laughs> the moral Truly. is we are not unwell Wait, right we're just we're just to- towing the line of unwell yeah I, you know what i will say like for everything that i've been through and am currently going through between like planning a wedding and diet culture that's prevalent in the wedding industry and then dealing with post-covid weight and post-COVID, post-pandemic, you know, diet culture, you know, because that exists too. And then, you know, following people on Instagram that are, you know, very much a lot thinner than me. And then the Y2K resurgence, like there's a lot going on that could break me. But I feel for the most part, even though we just talked for an hour about how we are not good. (laughs) I, I can, I can, I can say with confidence that Day to day, yeah, it's hard, but on the average day, I do really well, you know? same. The average day, I think that I'm totally fine in that regard, considering everything that's going against me, you know, I could have had a breakdown while looking for a wedding dress, but also have, like, all the people that are around me are very supportive, you know, they're very anti-diet culture for the most part, you know, everybody's just always, you know... It, it's just good spirit. So, you know, I, I could be a lot worse and I could be like how I was 10, 12 years ago. But, you know, I'm probably going to have, probably going to go get ice cream after this. I'm not going to lie to you. You should. Yeah, I have to figure out what I'm going to, what I'm going to make for dinner. I'm thriving. Yes. But yeah, I agree. Like overall, yeah, I'm good. I mean, we're, everyone's going to have their good days and bad days. And I always talk about how, Um, if you look at recovery on a chart, recovery is not a just straight up upward motion. It's more like a scribble. 
Um, it's doctor handwriting. Right. It, truly, it's a doctor's signature. That is recovery, a doctor's signature. So we're going to have good days and bad days. Sometimes good years and bad years, good months, bad months, good weeks, good weeks, good weeks, bad weeks, etc. Um, that doesn't mean that we failed. And I think that's important to remember. <laughs> we're not failures. We are just a product no. of society. I think that's yeah, a good note to... That is a good note to end on. Before I go, because I want to plug this in somewhere, plug in your podcast. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the resurgence. So Sam is the... Wow, words are not happening. Sam also hosts a podcast, and it's really cool. It's about women in the music scene. Uh, yeah, Sam, you want to elaborate? I have hibernated for 11 months. <laughs> I, you know, thinking back, you know, I have this... I. I deal with this all the time. Like I go back and forth. Like I am proud of what I've put out. I've been doing this since 2017. And you know, the, for the most part, the content that I've put out, I'm very proud of. And you know, when I was thinking about it, um, cause the last episode I just put out, I mentioned how bad I am about stuff like this, how I had mentioned, uh, our, us doing this. And I was like, it's going to happen. I swear it's going to happen. I swear. It's just like, COVID really put me in this funk and I was like, I don't want to do anything. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. And then I sat down and I recorded and I did the review episode for Barty Strange and I was I was really invigorated and uh, that's what made me hit you up and I was like, we have to do this. We have to record because like I'm really excited again to like get my unwanted uh, opinions out there again. <laughs> so I started it off with women in the music industry and sexism, but it has evolved into something so beautiful and it's basically just highlighting anybody that's not a cis white man, <laughs> which we is what that. we all want at the end of the right. day. <laughs> so if you feel so inclined, it's on Spotify, it's on SoundCloud. It's literally, I have been on every podcast platform because when I put it, I put the link somewhere, I think on iTunes and it just like went everywhere. So wherever you listen to podcasts, Rebel Hearts Podcast, that's where I am. That's yeah. where I be. It's awesome. You guys should listen. Sam uh, encouraged me to start this podcast, even though I've only recorded two episodes in a year and a half. She's Technically a three. This happened at all. Technically three, but one, no one's ever going to hear. <laughs> Maybe we'll add bits and pieces to that in this one. <laughs> that, that episode is somewhere lost in the third wolf. It really, uh, truly, in the third wolf. <laughs> Rest in peace, man. Oh, yes. I, I just can't. I, I. You know what? The next adventure we have to tackle detox culture <laughs> yes i like that idea and that will hopefully happen before next like, year <laughs> right next year within the next 12 months <laughs> we will do it before i get married yes all right that that's our goal <laughs> which all is right. like 15 months away right well thank you so much for being on and it was good talking to you the pleasure is all mine i love talking about how the kardashians make us all sick they really do. They're the worst.